Our message is entitled, Jesus Walks into a Trap. Last week we saw Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem as king. We know that they confused what kind of king he was, but he was still king nonetheless. So today we're going to talk about Jesus walking into a trap, his, his betrayal and his arrest is what we're going to talk about today. So we're working our way through the Holy Week. I know it's early, but we're going to work our way up to, hey, Liv, work our way up to, uh, to Easter. Thanks, Anne. So beginning in Matthew chapter 26, we're going to start in verse 36. It says this, Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. The disciples and Jesus had just participated in the Passover dinner. That's what we know that that during that dinner he instituted communion, which we just took a part of, right? That Passover dinner they had just eaten, and Jesus leaves there, the upper room, and he comes to the Garden of Gethsemane, which is on the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives is just on the other side of the Kidron Valley from, from the main, or Jerusalem proper, I guess, the main city of Jerusalem. I'm going to show you a picture of that right here. So where Jesus is, there's some church, this is a picture from the city of Jerusalem towards the Mount of Olives. So the traditional spot where Jesus was was probably in this area here, there's a church built here, a church here. There's some churches that are built there now in Jerusalem, obviously. But where they, the traditional site is of Jesus, of the Garden of Gethsemane, is in this area. Now, that's just a traditional site. We have no idea if that's the actual spot or not. Here's a picture of the, of the olive grove that's still there to this day. Some of these trees, they date back from, to, from 1,000 to 2,000 years. So probably none existed from the time of Jesus still, because the destruction of, Jer- of Jerusalem happened in AD 70 when the Romans came in and wiped them out. But some of the roots and stuff may still exist. So these trees are ancient trees from 1,000 to 2,000 years old. So you can get close to the, the picture of the garden when Jesus was there. As, as you can see, the church is in the background there. If you see those domes, that church that we were pointing out to you. So this olive grove is just on the north side of that, of that church. Jesus goes to the garden to pray, and he's sorrowful because he knows what's about to happen. Right? When Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's about to to be arrested, and he's about to, to meet his end. He's about to be crucified in just, just hours from this moment. So Jesus takes some of three of his disciples, his, his closest disciples, those same disciples that we saw him take on top of Mount Hermon for the Transfiguration just a few weeks ago. And he takes him and he prays, and he goes a little further from them and he prays. And this is what happens in 39. It says, going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Jesus knows the cup that he's going to have to drink here is not going to be much fun. And while it's his purpose, while this is the reason that Jesus, who is God in the flesh, came to earth, his human side and probably his divine side are are still mourning what's about to happen. He knows full well what's coming his way. And so he's, he's in deep sorrow and anguish at this point as he's in the garden. The story continues in verse 40. It says, Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Now it's late. They've eaten dinner. I don't know about you, but after I eat, I get a little tired, especially in school. Right? If you're in school, after lunch, that next period was like, whew, it's warm and I'm tired. 
The disciples, guys, have had an extraordinarily long week. We skipped a lot of what's happened, but they've been in the temples every day. I mean, it's Passover week. It's a, the, the excitement in Jerusalem is, is, is at peak level. And they're tired. And they fall asleep as Jesus goes and prays. A couple things, though, what I think is interesting is when Jesus takes them with him, that even in Jesus' darkest moments, his desire is to have some human companionship with him. Right, to take some of his closest, these are his closest friends at this point, his closest followers, and he brings them along with him. Now he's frustrated because they fall asleep, but I mean, put yourself in their shoes, they're tired. What I find interesting though is that he asks Peter, as if Peter's the, kind of the, the, the leader of the three even, who's, who's the three or the leader of the twelve. And we've seen Peter time and time again. Sometimes he, he makes a fool of himself and puts his foot in his own mouth, and sometimes he says brilliant things like we saw a few weeks ago. And his confession that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus goes, can, can you just hang with me for a little longer as I pray? Remember that the disciples, aren't, they don't have it down yet. They're not comprehending what's about to happen to Jesus. He's told them, but it, it's, it's not making sense. So Jesus goes away a second time and prays. He says, my father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy, so he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Now, anytime you see the number three in the scriptures, it's important for you to realize that the, the authors and God are trying to get you to understand something. Right? It's, it's for emphasis, it's purpose. Anytime you see three, something repeated three times, it's, hey, pay attention and get it. And Jesus is going away three separate times, and he prayers the same prayer. Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. But if it's not possible... Your will be done. Like, I'll drink it. Like, if I have to, I'll do this, God. It's, and he's, he's, he's wrestling with what's about to happen with him. And understandably, because what's about to happen to him is, is horrible. So he goes that third time, and he comes back. It says, he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come, and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Now, you saw where the Mount of Olives was, and you could see, so remember Judas is about to betray Jesus, and he brings with him a whole, whole group of armed men. And the reason Jesus can say this, here comes my betrayer, is he can see the torches coming through the night. As they come down off the Mount of Jerusalem, through the Kidron Valley, there's like a creek there now, and up the next side, Jesus knows what's, what's going to take place. Remember, Judas has left the Last Supper early to do what he's about to do, to betray Jesus. So Jesus prays, and as soon as he's done praying, this is what happens. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them, but when I kiss is the man, arre- the man arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Jesus said, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. There's a lot that's frustrating with this section. One that Judas, who's been with him since the beginning, betrays him, right? I mean, that just makes you want to punch him right in the nose. Um, he brings a crowd of armed people with him as if Jesus is, well, Jesus is about, to t- about to say it in the next section, as if Jesus is, ha- has had weapons with him all along who's leading a rebellion, and Jesus has never been that person. One that he betrays him with a kiss, and the kiss on the cheek is one that you use in many cultures as a greeting, right? So someone very close. A lot of cultures still do that to this day. They'll kiss, kiss each other on the cheeks. That's the, that's the symbol that Judas uses, which is a very intimate symbol, so that's frustrating. And then he, he calls him rabbi, teacher. 
as he kisses him. There's all kinds of things that's, that, are, that betrays Jesus to his very core. And while we often kind of skip over this section, I want to pause for a second and think about the hurt and pain that happens to us. And some of you have probably experienced this in your life when someone who's close to us, someone who we love, betrays us. And the hurt and pain that brings us. And the person who we're in a relationship with isn't faithful to us. That hurts. That hurts us deep. When the friend stabs us in the back. And that's what Judas does to Jesus in this moment. Jesus and Judas have been together for about roughly three and a half years at this point. And Jesus has brought Judas along to everything he's done. And Judas has, got, has, has been able to see Jesus walk on water and see him cure people with leprosy and make people who can't walk, walk again. And this is what he does. For some money, he betrays the Savior of the world. How did Judas know where to go? Where to find him? The Gospel of Luke tells us that Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. The Gospel of John tells us, tells us that now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. See, the Gethsemane, the Garden of Gethsemane, is a place where Jesus is staying during the Passover week. Now remember, from about 100,000 to maybe up to 2 million people rushed into Jerusalem during this time of the year. So you camped out wherever you possibly could, and, and trying to get a house was nearly impossible. And so they're likely that they're staying nearby where this happens. And that's why Jesus, Judas knows where Jesus is going to be. Because they're staying close by. This is where they've been sleeping. This is where they've been hanging out during this week. And Judas comes there and, and does what he does and betrays, betrays Jesus. Jesus replies after Judas' betrayal, says this, what, do what you came for, friend, he says to Judas. Then the men step forward, seize Jesus, and arrest him. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Now we learn who that person is in the Gospel of John. Go figure. Who else would it be? <clears throat> Simon Peter, who's been packing all along, Right? had a sword, drew it, and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Of course it's Peter, right? Say what you want about Peter, and he makes lots of mistakes. He's about to make a huge one here in a couple hours, right? When he's going to deny Jesus. But that dude's got fire in his heart, and he's got passion. And he sees his rabbi being arrested, and he goes, whew, we're not going down here without a fight. And we all have that friend, right? That doesn't go down without a fight. Peter's that friend. Peter whips that sword out, and he goes to whacking. Now, he gets the guy in his ear, which tells you what he was aiming for. It's not his ear, right? Peter was not aiming for his ear. He was a little lower, is what Peter was aiming for, right? Coming about this region, Peter was going for the... He was swinging for the fences. He was going for it all. Remember, we talked about last week how when, how when Jesus came into Jerusalem, and they, and they shouted, Hosanna, and they, they laid those palm branches down, that what they were saying is, Free us from Roman control. And we see in this moment, I think, that Peter is still caught up in that idea that the Messiah is going to lead them to, to independence from Rome. And so Peter goes, well, this isn't going to go down like this. We're going to, we're going to fight this to the end. And look at Jesus' response to Peter. <coughs> Let's put your sword back in its place, Jesus says to him. For all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my Father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels. 
But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? <clears throat> Notice that Jesus, I mean, tells him to put his sword, but he doesn't really chastise him. He knows Peter's heart. Peter's heart's in the right place. It's just not doing what he's supposed to be doing. <clears throat> Excuse me. And he says, Peter, man, if I want to fight, I've got 12,000 angels here right now, and we, we laid waste to these guys, but that's not the point. What's about to has, happen has to happen. The betrayal has to happen. The arrest has to happen. The trial has to happen. And the crucifixion has to happen. <coughs> Excuse me. Jesus says, How then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? The scripture I think he's referencing here is Psalm 41, 7 through 9. It's the Psalm of David. David says, All my enemies whisper together against me. They imagine the worst for me, saying a vile disease has afflicted him. He will never get up from the place where he lies. Even my close friend, someone I trusted, one who shared my bread, has turned against me. What did Jesus and his disciples just do before they came out to the garden where he prayed and then before he's arrested? They ate the Passover meal. And what do you eat at the Passover meal? You guessed it. It's bread. <coughs> this close friend, someone Jesus trusted, who has shared his bread, who has been at his table, has turned against him. Jesus says this is coming true. The, the, the prophecy about the Messiah is coming true. Jesus responds now to those who've come out in the crowd with torches and clubs and swords. He says, Now, or Jesus said to the crowd, Am I leading a rebellion that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I sat in the temple courts teaching, You did not arrest me. But this has all taken place that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. Jesus confronts the crowd and says, Hey, I'm in the temple courts every single day. If you want to arrest me, why don't you do it then? It's a great lesson for us that what, what has to be done in the dark should probably not be done, right? That's what's happened here. They know that if they do it in the public and those who have heard Jesus talk, hear about it, they might rebel. They might come against the authorities. And so what you do is you go in the dark when no one's around, everyone's asleep, and you arrest them then so there's no uproar and there's no crowd. Which again tells us that if we're doing something in the dark, we probably shouldn't be doing it. You have to hide it from other people, it's probably not great. You probably shouldn't participate in it. Just a simple rule of life. I want to come back now to a section and, and reflect on it. Jesus, when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, falls to his face and he talks about a cup. He says, may this, this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will, says, if, take, take this cup from me. And, and the Seder meal, which is the Passover meal that the Jewish people practice to this day, has five cups that you drink from throughout the meal. There's five different cups. Actually, the, four, the fifth one you don't, they don't drink from. But the, the first four they do. And Jesus had just participated in this meal that involved four cups. Now, the four cups of Passover are because of the four promises God gave to the Israelites when he freed them in the Exodus. When he says, hey, I'm coming to your rescue. Hang on, I'm coming. I know you're slaves. And you're, I've heard your cry, and I'm coming to rescue you. He promises four things in Exodus 6, 6-7. One, I will bring you out of Egypt. Two, I will free you. You won't be slaves anymore. I will redeem you. I will buy you back, and I will take you as my own. You'll be my people. 
And so the Jewish people, to this day, drink from these four cups, each one from the promise. And they tell different parts of the Exodus story during the Passover meal. Jesus was drinking, and his disciples drank from these four cups right before he comes to the Garden of Gethsemane. I don't know which cup he left on. Some people believe it's cup number three, which wouldn't that be fitting? As if he doesn't drink from the fourth cup before he goes to the garden, but stops at number three. Because number three is, I will, God speaking, redeem you. And what's Jesus about to do in just a few hours? He's going re- to redeem them. He's going to pay a heavy price to buy them back from being slaves to sin and death. But the Jewish people to this day keep a fifth cup, and it's Elijah's cup. This, this is taken from Chabad.org, which is a Jewish website. It's a great one if you're looking at Jewish things. So the Seder is the Passover meal. It says, after the conclusion of the Seder's grace, after meals, there is a universally accepted custom to pour a cup of wine, the cup of Elijah. That's the fifth cup. Open the front door of the home and recite several verses, mostly from the Psalms, wherein we beseech God to pour his wrath upon our persecutors and oppressors. See, the fifth cup is of God's wrath. what Jeremiah 25 says about this cup. It's what the Lord, the God of Israel, said to me. Take from my hand this cup filled with the wine of my wrath and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. And then the, Jeremiah lists all the nations essentially of the world at that time. Continues in verse 29. See, I'm beginning to bring disaster on the city that bears my name. I'm talking about Jerusalem. And will you indeed go unpunished? You will not go unpunished for I'm calling down a sword on all who live on the earth declares the Lord Almighty. The fifth cup is a cup of wrath, of God's wrath on mankind for the mess we've made of everything. See, God is a God of love, but he's also a God of justice. And sin cannot go unpunished. So the fifth cup is the cup of wrath. And what did Jesus say in the garden? Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My Father, if it is not possible, may this cup be taken from me, but not as I will, as you will. And Jesus is going to go to the cross, and what's he going to do on the cross? He's going to empty the cup. See, the fifth cup of God's wrath is poured out on Jesus. At the cross, Jesus takes all of our sin, all of our junk, and all of our wrongdoings, all the skeletons in our closet, and he takes them on himself. He's perfect, without sin and without blemish, and yet he takes God's wrath, all of it that's ever been. He takes it on himself. And so he empties the cup. He's in the garden, he goes, I don't want this cup, God. Tears in his eyes. And this cup's too much. I can't take it. But not my will. Your will be done. See, we filled the cup up with our sin. And he emptied it. So you and I could drink from this cup. The cup of redemption. Because redeeming is buying someone back at a price. And Jesus paid the price. So you and I could be brought back into a relationship with him. He took all God's wrath 
on him at one time and at one moment. For you and for me. Now I want to talk about, we're going to finish with this, the idea of Jesus in Gethsemane. (coughs) That's where this whole thing takes place. It's in the Garden of Gethsemane. Now the word Gethsemane means an oil or an olive press. And what they did is they used a larger millstone, normally attached to some type of animal, ox or a donkey. They would crush the olives up, and the the donkey would walk in a circle as the millstone would go around, and there's a rock at the bottom. And they'd crush the olive up, and they'd put it under a Gethsemane, a press, an oil press or an olive press. And it's a huge rock they'd set on top of all those ground-up olives. It would squeeze the olive oil out of And they used olive oil for almost everything, for cooking, for medicinal purposes, for anointing, for all kinds of things, right? And And that... that big rock would sit there and it would press all that oil out of it. And Luke tells us that when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, what's happening to him? It says, that being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Of course it was, because he's in the Garden of Gethsemane and the rock and the weight of all God's wrath is on him. And it's pressing him down. And the Scripture tells us that he sweats like drops of blood because of the stress he's under. As he takes all of that, the weight of our sin on himself. So not only does he drink from the cup of wrath, but he feels the full force of God's wrath and God's justice on himself. So you and I don't have to. And man, that's good news. And if you have not yet invited this Jesus into your heart, what are you waiting for? Because he will do everything anything for you. He will will be in the garden feeling the full force of the weight of all of our sin on Him to the point where His capillaries start breaking. That's what happens here to Jesus. His stress is so much that He sweats like drops of blood. There's blood mixed in with His sweat because His body can't take the pain and anguish He's under. And He'll take this cup of wrath and He'll pour it all out for us on the cross. So we don't have to to face God one day and be punished for our sins. Because Jesus, he took the punishment for us. There was no one in all the earth who loves you like this Jesus loves you. No one. What are you waiting for? Tomorrow, the day, what's it going to take for him? He's already done everything he possibly can for us. Gave everything for us, including his life. So we could be redeemed and be reconciled to this God of ours. So that when God sees us, he doesn't have to see our sin because Jesus has taken it from us. We put Jesus' righteousness on ourselves, not our own righteousness, because the Bible tells us that's like dirty rags. If you've been a Christian for a long time, and the gospel is getting old, it shouldn't be getting old. It should be good news still. You should be falling deeper and deeper in love with this God of ours who loves us so much that nothing in the world will stop him. And Jesus drinks the cup for people like you and me who don't deserve it, who can't possibly earn it, but that's why it's called grace. And this Jesus is abundant in his giving of grace. And so please don't leave here today without participating in that grace of being covered in his love. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the words of the Gospels as we read the story of Jesus 
as he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, as he, faith, as he felt the, the weight of the world on his shoulders, as he took away all of our sin, all of our junk with him once and for all. Father, we're so thankful that he, he drank from the cup of wrath to satisfy the price that had to be paid for our sins. Father, our sins are many, and they're often. But you take every last one of them away because of the work of your son, Jesus. So, Father, we rest in that truth today, knowing that we don't have to bear the weight of our sin anymore because Jesus bore it once and for all. It started in the garden and culminated at the cross. Father, we're even more grateful, though, that, that it came back to life, which gives each and every one of us the hope of life everlasting with you in a place where you will wipe every tear from our eye. There's no more mourning or crying or pain because the old order has been done away with. And Father, we look forward to that day when we see you face to face. Father, please grant us the ability to be gracious in our dealings with our spouses, our kids, our coworkers, those around us as we try to go out in another week and shine your light in our community. Father, give us the words to speak when the words need to be spoken and help us to be silent when we just need to be silent. Father, we we rest wholly and completely in your love that was purchased, that was bought at an incredible price by your son Jesus. And it's in his holy and precious name we pray. Amen.